The NFL regular season has finally come to a conclusion. I'll review what took place over the weekend and dive into some early storylines as the road to the Super Bowl begins on Saturday. Can TCU not only pull off another upset, but stay close to defending champion Georgia? I'll preview the big game tonight. Kevin Durant injures his knee in Miami and is set for an MRI as the Nets hold their collective breaths. Trevor Bauer is a Dodger no more. Where does he end up? A big-time tennis champ is out at the Australian Open, and Dana White comes clean. There's a lot to cover as we delve into all that's going on in the sports world. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J-Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J-Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels podcast begins in five, four, three, two, one. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast paced, jam packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. As we're just nine days into the new year, there's a playoff and championship feeling in the air as yours truly will carry you through with what the sports landscape has to offer as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Obviously, there's so much to delve into. A lot of it is going to be centered around football, whether it's the pros or even college, because we do have a... National championship that's going to take place tonight out in SoFi between TCU and Georgia. I'll get to that later on. And anything else that's happening in the world of sports, you know I got you covered. But the NFL over the last few days, before I even get to what took place Saturday and Sunday in the league, which now we could finally look ahead to the first round, the wild card round of the playoffs, which will start on Saturday. But let me go in chronological order from the end of the week, from where we last picked up on Thursday to set us up for what will be, I can't say an intriguing wild card, but I'll touch on that. Let's get back to Thursday afternoon into Friday. More importantly, the health of a one, DeMar Hamlin. As we saw, he was able to speak with his teammates and coaches through FaceTime. Sean McDermott, the coach of the Buffalo Bills, had come out and was just relieved and ecstatic to know that he had a chance to speak with him. The tube that was in his mouth down his throat was removed so he was able to breathe on his own which was just astronomical when you think about it as we all know what happened a week ago today 
the incident there in Cincinnati and who knows if he was going to be able to, by the end of the week, come out of it, let alone seven days later. Now he's still in critical condition. He's still in a scenario where he's not out of the woods just yet, but the signs are certainly looking up and we're just super grateful to know that he is doing well. The Instagram post that he put, I believe it was yesterday morning or maybe it was late Saturday afternoon, just stating the gratitude that he has for all the love, the outpouring of support from everybody, pretty much not only just in the U.S., but throughout the world, as we saw what happened there, laying on the turf in Cincinnati, and now he's at a point where he's able to speak, he's able to move, maybe not out of bed, but at least he can move his limbs, he doesn't have to worry about having to deal with tubes anymore, or maybe just oxygen artificially now he's able to just rest comfortably make sure that everything is good to go before he's able to check out of the hospital get back to Buffalo to be around his teammates and I'm sure that's going to be a sight to behold camera crews etc are going to be all over the place so DeMar Hamlin just so good to hear about his prognosis and even though there's still some time that has to elapse before he's able to check out and make sure that everything is clicking on all cylinders as far as his health goes but certainly an encouraging sign there over the last few days and after what took place there yesterday in Buffalo with the Bills winning, I'm sure that also helped not only his mental, but spiritual and emotional just to be able to look forward to being back with his teammates, hopefully much sooner than later. That's number one. The NFL then did announce late Thursday night into Friday and I didn't really make much of a stink about what the NFL did on some of my social media accounts because I wanted to see what was going to happen as far as the development over the weekend with how some of these teams were going to play before I blew my top because I certainly didn't want to waste my breath talking about if a certain scenario played out or if this happened prior to the NFL weekend beginning, the final one of the season, and then it would have been all for moot because when we think back to Thursday... I gave you my scenario as to what the NFL will do and what the NFL should do. And you might as well just blow up what I just said because that absolutely was nowhere near what the NFL had in mind when it came to their scenario with the Bills and Bengals not being able to play their game and they canceled it altogether. There was not going to be a makeup or a pickup from where they left off with, what was it, 5.53 to go in the first quarter to, let's say, maybe even play the game this coming Saturday and cancel out the bye week, which I'll get to in a second. They said, the hell with that. We want to make sure that our playoffs are going to be seamless. We want to make sure that we have that bye week. We want to make sure that everything is going to be ready to go come Saturday at 4.30 to kick off the wildcard weekend and forget about the Bills-Bengal game, which obviously had a lot hinging on as far as the AFC goes, in particular with the two-seed. Because as we all know, if Cincinnati, who had an early lead in that game, if they would have won the game, they would have been the two seed having two home games. But as it is right now, with the way the NFL broke it down, the owners, 25 of them, had said yay to them not having the Bills-Bengal game being played, that if the Kansas City Chiefs were to win on Saturday against the Las Vegas Raiders, as we saw, and them having the best record in the conference followed by Buffalo, Cincinnati, etc., that the AFC Championship game, if it does happen to be whomever, especially Buffalo, because it could be Cincinnati, it could be Baltimore, any other team besides the Buffalo Bills, 
that that game is going to be played at a neutral site. If it happens to be Cincinnati, even with the tiebreakers with Cincinnati beating Kansas City in the regular season, but because of the way the season ended and them being a the game back, percentage points, etc., Cincinnati will have to travel to Kansas City for an AFC Championship game. But if it happens to be Buffalo, Kansas City, it's at a neutral site, which is yet to be determined. And of course, I can't stand that. That was a joke. Where are they going to play the game? I know they have time. I know they're going to wait for it to develop to see what happens here over the course of these next couple of weeks. But for them to right away put this in a scenario where it may be in a controlled environment, meaning that it could be indoors, at Indianapolis, maybe even Atlanta is some of the rumblings that we hear. And to me, that's a disgrace. The game needs to be played outdoors, whether it's in Pittsburgh, whether it's in Cleveland, Cincinnati, somewhere in between Buffalo and Kansas City to where fans of both teams could meet. And it sucks because the fans get jobbed all the time. And I was going to touch on that a little bit later, but be that as it may, I was not a fan of that. And of course, all the coin flips. Thankfully, we don't have to worry about Baltimore winning yesterday as we saw Cincinnati did win. So you don't have to worry about coin flips as you saw there by Joe Mixon and his celebration in the end zone after scoring the opening touchdown of the game. Obviously, we don't have to worry about that. But now that the few days have gone by, and even though we don't have to worry about the Bengals getting screwed because of that scenario, or even the AFC Championship game, which is obviously has to be played out, and hopefully it's not the case. Maybe Kansas City gets knocked off here and picked off early, which would be fantastic because I'm sure people are sick of seeing the Chiefs. I picked them to go to the Super Bowl. Let's start there. And just to see the Chiefs have home field again in the Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid era, we have not seen that combo play a road game in the playoffs. And at least for the divisional round, that's going to be the case. They're going to be at Arrowhead, and who knows what's going to happen the following week, especially if the Bills win their first two playoff games. Chances are, although it's not going to be a real home game, but the Chiefs will be able to wear their red jerseys and act as if they're the home team based on them winning the conference with their 14-3 record. So when we now take a look at the weekend, even before I get to that, it's sad that the NFL couldn't forego the bye week because they have to have all their sponsors and the parties and everything set up for that week where it's so cherished in the league because they want to look at the bye week just from a standpoint of having a fresh product come Super Bowl Sunday where the teams have two weeks off that they are going into the game as ready as they possibly can be from a mental, physical, and I'm sure even an emotional standpoint that they feel the game would be compromised if the bye week were to be foregone, even with these extenuating circumstances. And you would think that because this wasn't Arizona at Atlanta or Carolina at New Orleans, it was Buffalo at Cincinnati, that even if they were to pick the game up from where they left off last Monday night at a neutral site, and I would have been cool with that. Because let's say if the Bills didn't want to go back to Buffalo, and that's the other thing too, We don't know if the NFL heard back from both Cincinnati and Buffalo to think that, you know what, we'd rather just pass on this game. Home field doesn't mean anything. We want to make sure that we're ready for their final game of the season, in particular the Bills, as we know, because of Hamlin. But they figured, no way, we don't want to have to go back to Cincinnati or even have to play that game. 
let's just start the playoffs and we'll take it from there. If that's what Buffalo and or Cincinnati did, and the NFL isn't going to say that because with the owners being a huge part of the voting process, as I mentioned earlier, and you got more than two-thirds of the vote, that's what it's going to boil down to. So they're not going to come out, whether you're Roger Goodell or any of the other hierarchy from the 399 Park Avenue office, if they knew that the Bills or Bengals had any influence in this, of course the NFL is going to stay mum on that. And even if Goodell comes out to say that there's no perfect solution, all right, we understand that with Buffalo, Cincinnati not being able to play this game. But I got news for you. There are a lot better ones than the one that you chose or at least the owners approved on because whether myself, the mailman, the neighbor's dog, we could certainly come up with a better plan. And my plan that I came up with on Thursday was actually pretty good. At least I thought. And of course it's debatable. A lot of people think, Jay Reels, you're crazy. How can you have buys in the middle of the postseason as far as from an integrity standpoint, etc.? But at least you would have gotten the Bills-Bengals game in and we would have been able to determine whether or not Buffalo would have been the one seed considering that they've been or beaten the Chiefs early on in the season. And as we all know, home field isn't guaranteed as far as winning a playoff game in your building, but it'll certainly help considering that the Bills' lifetime, and I understand you can't look at it from the lifetime standpoint because a lot of those Bills' playoff victories were in the 90s during that Super Bowl run that they made it four straight and not winning one. But throughout the Bill history, they are 15-1 and one at home come postseason time. So I have to throw that in the mix. And because of this cherished bye week, before I get on to the weekend, winners and losers, etc., but one last thing, and because the NFL did not want to upset the apple cart, because they want to keep that bye week, and I'm sure a lot of it has to do, like I mentioned, with appeasing their sponsors, being able to make sure that everything goes smooth with the NFL experience, with people flying into Glendale, all the parties, the hype, etc., and not having the game by any means necessary compromised because the championship games were played the week before the Super Bowl. And I hope that the Pro Bowl games out in Vegas, which please, flag football, are we serious? If they felt like, oh, well, it was going to interrupt that, then the NFL, they might as well just pack it up and go home. And they're never going to say that because they're not going to look at the Pro Bowl as a priority. But we all know that's another weekend for the NFL to generate money, etc. But the one thing I can't stand, especially also with Media Day 2, that's another thing because they can't ruin Media Day because we have to have all these clowns go out there with costumes and all these different uniforms asking questions about what is your good luck charm and, oh, what is your dog's middle name? People that have no clue about the NFL or how they get these media credentials. And here I am, a guy that has been following the sport for 45 years and want to get a media credential just to not only just be there, if I had the opportunity to go to Glendale, but at least I would come up with some questions that would have something to do with the game. As opposed to asking, what is your pregame meal during the Super Bowl? Does anybody really care? So these people could get media credentials wearing Superman outfits and Bumblebee costumes and the like, but yours truly is on the outside looking in. All right, so I get off my soapbox there. Let's get to what you really want to hear, and that's what's going on, especially leading into the weekend as far as the NFL is concerned. 
And one last thing, even before I even get to that, and I know Jay Reels are people saying, oh, God, he's on a roll today. Yes, I am. And I have to because is anybody else going to say this? No. But one last thing before I get to yesterday, the season is too long. And I understand they're not going to put the genie back in the bottle. I get it. And people could say, well, Jay Reels, well, why are you complaining? You know, you don't have to watch. You don't have to follow. You could just shut up and just talk about what happened over the weekend. That's what we want to know first and foremost. But the thing is, that extra game, as we know, what does it mean in the grand scheme of things? It's all about the almighty dollar. We know that going into last year when they expanded the playoffs in both conferences from six teams to seven. We knew that by having that extra game, it's going to lead to an 18th game of the season. But even though with the extra week, and I understand it's just one week, but here's why it's too long. We would have been done with the wild card round looking forward to the divisional round, which as we all know is the best weekend of the NFL by far from September through mid-February. And if you want to argue that, please, at me all you want. We know the divisional round. All you got to do is look back to last year's divisional round. Have you forgotten? Bills Chiefs, that epic game that we saw, Rams and Buccaneers, where the Bucs came back from 27-3 down. Shall I continue? And not only that, but to see these records 14-3, 12-5, 9-8, let's go back to the way it was. There was nothing wrong with that. The 12-4s, the 9-7s, the 10-6s. I can't get used to these 5-12s and these 7-10s. These records are weird. Does the NBA play 83 games? Does baseball play 163? No, because it's the NFL. Content is king, and they are on their almighty perch at the very top of the sports food chain looking down on everybody saying, ha, don't you wish you could be like us? But again, the reason why I watch and follow before you curse me out, people, is because... I've been invested for, like I said, the 45 years that I've been on, now on this planet, I've been around for 53, but watching football religiously since then, and because I've invested all that time and watched, and again, in the DNA, like as I like to say, of course I can't just give it up, but who knows, there may be a day where I'm sick and tired of it, and I say, the hell with the NFL, they're going to lose one less fan, which is going to be no sweat off their back, because they got zillions behind me, that are just praising the sport from here to kingdom come. All right, now, I promise, I'm off the soapbox. Let's get right to it. Winners and losers of this past week, and I'll be brief. Winner number one, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, that was an ugly game. They did not play well. And to think, they were able to get the go-ahead touchdown on a fumble recovery by Josh Allen. No, not the Buffalo Bills' Josh Allen. The Jacksonville Jaguars' defensive standout. He was able to get... A 37-yard fumble return for a touchdown there with about 250 to go in the game, which proved to be the game winner. And the Jaguars, a team that was on nobody's radar about week eight. And even though with the promise of a young quarterback, the former number one overall pick in a one Trevor Lawrence, and having some key pieces there, whether it has been or is Josh Allen, we bring in a new coach in Doug Peterson who has a Super Bowl resume. And for the Jags, to come back from pretty much the dead halfway through the season with some big wins along the way. They close out the season, what, winning six out of seven? Nine and eight, their first division championship since 2017 when they went to the championship game and lost to the New England Patriots, a game in which they should have won because they were up by two scores, what was it, about 10 minutes ago in the fourth quarter. But the Jags win number one by far as they get to host a home game next week against the LA Chargers. They're my winner number one. Winner number two in a similar ugly game in a grudge match. I have to give it up. 
the Miami Dolphins. Now, I understand with what happened in Buffalo yesterday with New England losing, and then a battle to the very end where you had field goals left and right. Well, maybe not left and right, maybe a little bit left here, a little bit right here. As the Jets and Dolphins came down to the final seconds to where the game was tied 6-6 and no offense to be found pretty much on both sides of the ball. But a key and killer horse collar penalty on the Jets there late as they were driving. And this was right about at midfield, which pretty much set them up in field goal range for Jason Sanders to kick a 50-yard field goal with about 18 seconds to go. And then, of course, the Jets tried to do the old college play, the Stanford Cal, let's flip it back a thousand times until it got into the their own end zone and then it ended up being a safety where the Dolphins were able to tack on a couple more points to win 11-6. And with that victory, they were able to get the final seed in the AFC, the seventh seed overall, as they made it to the postseason for the first time since 2016. So kudos to Mike McDaniel, kudos to the Dolphins for making it into the postseason, which will be a very brief one. So there are my two winners, my two losers. The first one has to go to the Las Vegas Raiders. The only reason why I say that and them, and it's not to pick on them by any stretch, but could that game been a little bit more competitive there on Saturday afternoon? We understand going into that game, it was big because if Casey would have lost, that meant the Bills would have had an opportunity to get the one seed. And I'm not trying to say that the Raiders had to win. I'm not trying to say that the Raiders had to pull the one of the bigger upsets that we've seen this year. But could they at least been in the game? 24 to 3 at the half. Turn your sets off. Don't even bother. And the Chiefs cruise on to a 31-13 victory to put the Raiders out of their misery. And not that again, not that I expected it to be a back and forth slugfest or anything close to what we saw the week before where Jared Stidham lit up the Niner defense to where they lost in overtime. Now, that would have been fantastic, even if they would have lost in an overtime setting, but that was far from the case. So the Raiders, they're my loser number one. And my loser number two, I should have picked the Lions as a winner, but because they could go off into the rest of the winter and into the spring with some good vibes and good energy for how the Lions closed out their season, but boy... The Green Bay Packers fell flat on their face here. And I tell you, the NFL, they'll never admit it, but they would have loved to have seen Aaron Rodgers next week in Santa Clara against the San Francisco 49ers, which, as we all know, is his playoff nemesis. He's lost to them several times over the years, including the last two years, whether it was in an NFC Championship game, or really that was three years ago, when they got waxed. That was when Jimmy Garoppolo and company went to the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. But whether it be that game or what we saw there last year, losing to the Niners in the divisional round, 13-10, to where they scored a touchdown on the opening drive and then they didn't score after that, although they did get a field goal there late. But with all that being said, for the Packers to have this position, for them to be, what was it, 4-8, and eight, they came all the way back to be 8-8, eight and eight, and Aaron Rodgers had a pretty good feeling knowing that they were going into this game saying that, We took care of business. Now we just got to take care of one more game in our building against a Lion team that has never swept them. Or I can't even recall the last time the Lions took two games from the Packers in the regular season. And there it was. They had a 16-13 lead. The Lions came marching down the field there midway through the fourth quarter. Got the go-ahead score. And Aaron Rodgers was unable to produce 
And when the Lions had to make plays to not only thwart the Packers from trying to get the ball back at the end of the game, but they had a trick play at 2nd and 17, which led to a first down. And then on 4th and 1, they went for it when they could have kicked a field goal to make it 23-16. They said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not fooling around. We're going for it to put the final nail in the Packer coffin. And sure enough, Jared Goff finds DJ Chark for the first down and kicks the Green Bay Packers into the offseason and a long offseason at that where we're going to have to deal with Aaron Rodgers again, mulling retirement and what are going to be his plans and what's going to happen and he's going to be owed $50 million, so you know he's going to come back but another offseason in doubt for the Packers as we have to hear it one more time from number 12 in green and gold but good riddance and the NFL, they could poo-poo it all they want and say, alright, well hey, Seattle's now, you're a seven seed Good for them. It's a division matchup. It should be fine. Please. They would have loved to have the Packers. And as I like to say, late at night with their Oreos and their almond milk as they're choking on that, knowing that the Lions were able to get that first down there late, knowing that you're not going to see Green Bay. You're not going to see number 12. You're not going to see any of that in the postseason. I'm sure that the famous cookie did not go down the shoot pretty well, knowing that the Lions said, "Uh uh-uh. Not on our watch as they swept the Packers into the night. And as we talk about the games yesterday, and in particular, Seattle, because they have the seventh seed in the NFC by them beating the Rams in overtime yesterday. And that was a close one too, as it was tooth and nail. And the Seahawks, I thought they were going to lose the game because in the closing seconds, as Jason Myers was about to kick the game-winning field goal and it hit right off the upright, And something told me at that point, I said, it may not be in the cards for Seattle. And I was hoping that Seattle would lose because Detroit Green Bay would have been a bigger stage. It would have been a bigger game because that would have been a winner go home game. And to think the Packers, not only since they lost, the Lions would have been the team going into the playoffs. But remember, Seattle beat Detroit earlier this season. That's why you don't see the Lions in the playoffs. But for the Seahawks to be able to get the Opening kickoff in overtime, they did nothing with it. And then Baker Mayfield throws a bomb, which he had a guy wide open, Van Jefferson, but a great play by Quandre Diggs to intercept at the last second. And from that point on, the Seahawks were able to move the ball, move the chain, set themselves up in field goal range, and Jason Myers did not miss the second time around as the Seahawks punched their ticket into the postseason with a 19-16 win. And who knows what's going to happen with Sean McVay. I know a lot of talk over the last week could be the possibility that McVay could pivot. Maybe take a year off. Does that mean he goes to broadcast TV? Does he join Fox, ESPN, or any one of these networks? Who knows? We'd have to wait and see. And that would be something just a year after winning the Super Bowl for him to just go ahead and take that respite. And we heard a lot about that even last year, winning the Super Bowl and how stressful that was being able to construct this team and be a part of bringing all these players, all these mercenaries, whether your name is Vaughn Miller, the trade for Matthew Stafford, bringing in Odell Beckham Jr., knowing that it was Super Bowl a bust, they got their Super Bowl, and knowing that the team is in salary cap hell, they have no draft picks, this could be the time where Sean McVay would say bye-bye to the Rams, he did his job, and leave it up for somebody else to clean up the mess and try to get the Rams back to respectability. So, That we'll have to wait and see. But that's what we had there as Seattle gets the last spot 
A lot of the other games I'm not going to get into. Am I really going to get into Dallas losing at Washington, which Dak Prescott was awful. And I know we could talk about that as they lead into the postseason. And Jerry Jones, of course, not worried, not discouraged by the performance that you saw there yesterday. Prescott was 14 for 37. I mean, he looked as bad as some of these backups that we've saw, that we've seen down the stretch. And if the Cowboys, we all know that the pressure is going to be on them. And we'll t- talk about them more on Thursday as we preview the playoffs then. But yes, we could talk about that, but it's already old news. You got to flush that game down the toilet and look ahead if you're a Cowboy fan or an NFL fan for that matter. But am I going to get into, oh, what to read into or look into how he played? Yes, he was awful. Yes, does that mean that's not a good sign for the Cowboys moving forward? Quite possibly because Dak Prescott has not won a road playoff game in his entire career. And granted... Very small sample size. I believe he's one in three lifetime. But again, no playoff road victories on the back of his playoff football card. So that you have to take into consideration. Elsewhere, the Eagles got the one seed throughout. No surprise there as they beat the Giants. And I understand the game was closer than it was. Or maybe it was too close for comfort at the end. Jalen Hurts back in the mix, which is important because they're going to have that bye. They're going to have their week off. And he wasn't terrible in the game. I mean, 20 for 35, nothing stellar, nothing spectacular, but the shoulder seems like it still is a little bit of an issue. So we're certainly going to have to pay attention to that as the Eagles will get themselves ready for a divisional round in two weeks. Besides that, the only other thing I'm going to talk about, and I'll get to this now, the setting in Buffalo, we knew it was going to be emotional. We knew it was going to be dramatic. And based on that opening kickoff, you couldn't have written a better script. Naheem Hines returns the opening kickoff 96 yards to get the Bills Mafia up in a frenzy. 7-0, but New England actually played well. They hung tough. They actually took a 17-14 lead there late. And you kind of thought to yourself, well, maybe not late. I think it was midway through the third quarter. And you thought to yourself, if New England continues to hang around, this could be dangerous because as a Steeler fan... Not only was I monitoring the Jet-Dolphin game, but I had to take a look at this game as well. And even though at the end of the day, I was not worried about Buffalo because I thought they would prevail. But then at 17-14, what happens? Naheem Hines does it again, returns another kickoff for a touchdown, 101 yards. And at that point, that's when the Bills took off and they went 35-23. Everything that I mentioned at the top regarding DeMar Hamlin, all the love the attention, and rightfully deserved all the love for Hamlin shirts that were littered throughout, not only just in Buffalo, but of course the entire league and stadiums and signs and everything that you could possibly imagine as the Bills were able to come out victorious there at 35-23. We talked about the Jet-Dolphin game, as we saw, and for a Steeler fan to have to rely on the Jets in order to get in the postseason. And remember, I talked about this on Thursday. Last year, if you recall, Steeler fans, the Steelers were 8-7-1, I believe. Yes. And they had to win in Baltimore, and then they had to hope for the Chargers to lose, because remember, they lost a tiebreaker to L.A. last year, that Sunday night game. And then we had Brandon Staley with one of the more underrated screw-ups of all time, Third and 10, as the clock is ticking down, that if the Chargers and Raiders, who were tied at the time, and I believe the game was an overtime, where all they had to do was just run out the clock, and both of those teams would have made it into the postseason. 
as it was, Staley called a timeout, I believe it was third and 10. So then what happened was the Raiders ran a draw play, rusted for 11 yards, got themselves in field goal range. So where the Raiders were able to call a timeout with three seconds left and then Daniel Carlson kicks it through the uprights to where Pittsburgh went into the postseason. And I thought to myself, could this happen for the second consecutive year? And it looked like that was going to be the case because remember, all you needed was the Jets and Dolphins to tie. And at this point, with the way the offenses were going for both teams, I thought that that's what was going to be the case. I was hoping for a tie. I would have stuck out the whole overtime to make sure that the Steelers were going to prevail and hopefully eke out another playoff spot on the final day of the season. But as it was, as I talked about before with Jason Sanders, and we know what happened there. So therefore, the Steelers out of the postseason. But a couple of things. The game yesterday, Kenny Pickett, the numbers didn't look great, but he had to make the plays when he needed to. 7-0, he gets a touchdown there. George Pickens right before the half, but then they get an interception to kick a field goal. And they pretty much had the lead from then on out. The Browns were just playing out the string. Just an awful season for them. And the Steelers were able to prevail for Mike Tomlin. 9-8, 16 years of 500 or better. Another remarkable job by the Steelers head coach who was 2-6 and six and 5-8. and eight, And he runs the table to the point where they were still in playoff contention once that game concluded. Or in fact, I believe the Jet Dolphin game concluded. But for all intents and purposes, the game was... 28-14 there, halfway through the fourth quarter. And you could pretty much just hope for the Jets to come out victorious, as we saw that wasn't the case. And now the Steelers, 9-8. and eight. I was hoping that they would have made it to the postseason. Now, granted, they would have got whacked in the game. There was no chance that they would have beaten Buffalo. Remember, they lost to them early this year, 38-3. And that would have just been a hostile environment. But I thought it would have been imperative, only for this reason, to get experience... Under the belt for a one Kenny Pickett. I thought that would have been huge if they would have made it in. And even if they would have gotten blown up by the same score that they experienced during the regular season. But still, just having that playoff setting, the atmosphere on the road, I thought would have been leaps and bounds huge for a rookie quarterback. Knowing that even if they would have been pathetic, three interceptions, fumbles, and did not play well that it would bode well for him moving forward, knowing that at least he would have had that opportunity and that experience under his belt. But we're not going to be able to see that as we know. So let's see what happens with the Steelers this offseason as they try to build with the rookie quarterback and off this season into the 2023 season. Now let me get to the wild card round. I'm only going to talk about some early storylines, not necessarily with teams or throughout the league. I'm going to save that for Thursday, but what I do want to discuss is just a couple of things just to kind of prepare you for what's going to take place this weekend. I'll get into predictions. I'll get into specific storylines heading into the weekend then, but right now, the first thing that's going to jump out at me when we take a look at what lies ahead for the wildcard round is these two versus seven matchups. And as I mentioned earlier, the NFL expanded to this format last year and we saw what happened last year in this 2-7 format. The games were a disaster. Philly had no shot in Tampa as we saw, what was it, 35-7, the final. And even my beloved Steelers, they went to Kansas City and even though they were in the game for about a quarter and a half, but then the Chiefs took off and they won, what, 42-21. 
in Ben Roethlisberger's last game ever. And I think you're going to get more of the same here. San Francisco, Seattle, now they know each other, they're division opponents, division rivals, but we saw what San Francisco did to them in the regular season. Can I expect Seattle to pull off an upset? Chances of that, slim and none. And then Miami having to go back to Buffalo, which they played well a few weeks ago. But that was when Tua took over Loa, and he's going to be a storyline heading into Thursday's podcast. But is he going to be the guy that's going to be under center once their first offensive series begins there in Buffalo Sunday at 1 o'clock? That remains to be seen, and that's going to be a big question mark because they had a slim to none chance of winning with Tua there. If Teddy Bridgewater is ready, chances are it's going to be none. And what you saw there yesterday with Skylar Thompson, they have a snowball chance in hell if Miami's going to win that game with Thompson. No offense to Thompson, it's not his fault. But these two seven matchups, they're going to be brutal. And like I said earlier, one more time, people, not being able to put the genie back in the bottle, and that was for the regular season. But now with this 2-7 disaster, forget it. You look like you're going to get the same situation here this time around, and ugh, it could be ugly before a quarter has even elapsed in these games. So that's number one. Number two, all the matchups are rematch games. In the AFC, obviously Miami and Buffalo play twice a year. Baltimore and Cincinnati, thankfully Cincinnati doesn't have to worry about a coin flip, but we have the Bengals and Ravens, as we know, they play twice a year. And if you recall, back in week three, when Jacksonville went out to L.A., and pasted the Chargers. What was it? 38-10, I believe it was. So you're going to have a rematch there, although it's going to be in Jacksonville between the two young guns of Justin Herbert for LA and Trevor Lawrence for Jacksonville. So you have a rematch in all three of the AFC games and in the NFC, as I mentioned, Seattle-San Francisco, Dallas-Tampa Bay, which was the Sunday night opener, if you recall, where Tampa won 19-3. And then the other game, we just saw this on Christmas Eve, the Giants going back to Minnesota to play the Vikings in a 3-6 matchup. So all the games are of a reunion sake because these are all rematches that we've seen here throughout the course of the regular season. That's number two. And if you want to look at the best game of the week, you may have to wait till Monday night because you have Dallas going to Tampa. And I understand they had to throw ESPN a big bone here. I thought this game was going to be either Saturday night or even Sunday night NBC. But I can understand why, because ESPN had a bad slate of Monday night games, and the one Monday night that we all thought was going to be one of the best throughout the regular season, last Monday night, and we saw the events unfold there in Cincinnati. So of course, they had to give ESPN, Buck and Aikman, the five-star game, although it's a 4-5 matchup. You know, it's not as if this is a divisional round or an NFC Championship matchup type game. But you do have the Cowboys, as we all know, a ratings magnet. And you do have Tampa and Tom Brady, despite the fact that they were under 500 and no need to get into the Tampa-Atlanta game. As you know, a lot of those games I left there to collect dust. I wasn't going to go down the Carolina-New Orleans rabbit hole or Tampa-Atlanta. I wasn't going to do that. And congratulations, Desmond Ritter, who had a good game, two touchdown passes. Good for him. But with this game being the best one out of... The entire one, you're going to have to wait till Monday night. Which, I don't like the Monday night wildcard game. And chances are, you're going to see this matchup. Whomever is the winner, they're going to play the Sunday 6.30 matchup. Because there's no way that they're going to play on Saturday with a five-day turnaround. 
And I don't think you're going to see them at 3 o'clock the following Sunday. I could see them putting this in that 6.30 window, whether it be Tampa at Philadelphia or if one of the lower seeds beneath Dallas and Tampa win and pull off the upset, they're going to have to go to, in all likelihood, San Francisco. And as we take a look at the matchups here over the weekend, as far as their time slots go, on Saturday, 4.30, you have Seattle at San Francisco. I actually thought it was going to be LA and Jacksonville, but that's not the case. That's actually your Saturday night game, which I'm surprised that Jacksonville gets that time slot. I understand it's LA, it's a big market, but we all know there's 14 Charger fans out there that are from LA, and the ones that are originally in San Diego, you know that they are probably half excited because the Chargers are finally in the postseason, but again, they're up the coast and not down by the border there, Chula Vista to Tijuana. That is your 8-15 matchup, so you have Seattle, San Francisco, Chargers, Jaguars there, 4.30 and 8.15. Sunday, Miami at Buffalo is your 1 o'clock game. 4.30, Giants at Minnesota. Your 8.15 matchup is Baltimore-Cincinnati. And as I mentioned, Monday night, Dallas at Tampa, which rounds off the NFL here as we close out the regular season and look forward to the wild card round. All right, now let's turn our attention to the national championship, which will take place tonight out in SoFi, TCU and Georgia. As we know, what happened last week where TCU was able to pull off the upset against the Wolverines and a big scare by Georgia where they fought tooth and nail and had to sweat out a last-second field goal attempt by the Buckeyes, which dodged a missile, as we know, because their defense was atrocious. Ohio State played well and was deserving to be victorious but as we know Georgia was able to at the end of the day sweat it out and now see themselves on this stage for the second year in a row and even though they were knocked down and dragged across the field a few times but they were not knocked out and that's huge heading into this game because as we take a little bit of a preview and a an overview of what to possibly expect tonight I said this 10 days ago when it comes to TCU and I even mentioned it this past Monday when we reviewed the Semifinal games, if the Bulldogs beat themselves the way Michigan did, and if TCU capitalizes on what we thought, or at least what I thought then, that in order for them to win that game against Michigan, that they were going to need some breaks. They weren't going to be able to play straight up and beat them without any turnovers or with any breaks or anything like that. And as we saw in the game against Michigan, not only did they have two pick sixes, that fumble at the goal line, which was huge there at 14-3, to And then we can't forget the opening drive where Michigan was knocking on the door. And even though I was okay with them going for it on fourth down, they figured out, what the hell? We want to show who's boss. They pulled the Philly special, which went nowhere. And to me, that was a terrible play call. And I understand that's 2020 now, hindsight. But back then, I thought it was good for them to go for it on fourth. I get it. You want to get the points. It's the first drive of the game. Michigan was just trying to at least set the tempo for them, knowing that this was going to be a 60-minute game and maybe not go for the points, which I agreed upon, but the play call was awful. TCU is going to have to get similar breaks like that in order for them to win this game. Because if it's straight up, if it's a scenario where even if the turnover battle, as we saw last week, was even at 3-3, and and remember, TCU did not play a perfect game either. But let's just say there are no turnovers in the game. It's a clean game. It's 
near perfect. I still don't think TCU wins the game and who knows if it's even close in the third quarter because of what Georgia went through there last Saturday against Ohio State. By them having to survive that, by them, not to say that they rested on their laurels or maybe they weren't as prepared, maybe they were caught a little bit off guard by the way Ohio State played and even Stetson Bennett who had some Errors in the game, throwing that bad interception, which I thought was a bad route at 14-7, which led to a touchdown at 21-7 for Ohio State. But he was able to make plays when he had to, especially in that fourth quarter. And when you have a team that has that championship medal, that DNA, and has been down there before, even with them stubbing their toe and not playing Georgia like there last Saturday, but we all know that they're going to be that much more laser-focused They're going to be that much more, I don't want to go as far as saying rigid, but we know that by them escaping that game last week, that whatever TCU is going to throw at them tonight, they're going to be ready for it. And I'm sure they can watch as much film and get as many scouting reports as they possibly can as it is the running back for TCU. Kembray Miller is 50-50 at best for the game. As you recall, he had an injury there in the game last Saturday. So we're going to have to wait and see what his prognosis is going to be. I'm sure it's going to be a game-time decision. But for TCU, and listen, I'm going to root for them. I understand Georgia to get back-to-back would be big for that school, especially with the SEC and how they've just been able to dominate here over the last decade-plus. They would be able to continue that with another victory tonight. But I want to see TCU in the game. I want to see midway through the third quarter that they're within... 10 points. I won't go as far as saying one score or touchdown or anything like that. But I want to see this be a game. I don't want to look up first quarter, it's already 14-0 Georgia and halftime, it's 21-6. I don't want to see that. Because we know that TCU is going to have no shot whatsoever when it comes to not only just winning the game, but being in the game. And I don't have any hate for Georgia. It's not like it's Alabama here in this game where I would just be sick to my stomach. But, you know, if they win, good for them. I'm not going to lose any sleep. Congratulations, etc. Back-to-back for the Bulldogs. I can't hate on them. But I just want to see TCU in this game. We know they're worthy by them beating Michigan. And yes, they did get those breaks, like like I mentioned. And sometimes you're going to need those to get to this point in any sport. But now, this is it. This is for all the marbles. National title on the line. They're going to have to be near perfect. And just like I mentioned last week, different set of circumstances where C.J. Stroud had to be Heisman-like and that didn't even guarantee them a victory. Well, the same's going to have to be for Max Duggan tonight, the quarterback of TCU. He's not going to have to turn the ball over. He's Any pick sixes or any untimely errors, whether it's deep in his zone or by the goal line, they're going to be costly, especially against a team like Georgia. Now, will they be able to move the ball up and down the field? Quite possible, unless Georgia gets their act together, unlike last week against Ohio State. But if Georgia does happen to wake up from that fog back last week and then put forth a good defensive effort, it could be a long night for the Horned Frogs. That's all there is to it. How I look at this game, I see Georgia playing from in front. I see this being a 34-20 type game. The spread, I believe, is 12.5, so they will barely cover. I hope TCU's in a game. I can only pray for it. Do I think that's going to be the case? I don't think so. Like I said, they're going to have to get those turnovers. They're going to have to get those big breaks 
in order for them to win this game. And you may get that in one game, as they did last week, in back-to-back games. Good luck to you. I don't think that's going to happen tonight. And even though I'm not on until Thursday, I'll do a brief recap, but you definitely want to check me out on TikTok, Instagram, on those platforms to keep an eye. YouTube also, I do have a YouTube channel, people. It's at J Reels. If you want to check out my shorts there, as I give you a one-minute blast and takes on certain things. So definitely keep your eyes on that. Come probably late Monday night. If not, if the game's going to be over, I'm going to bed. There's no way I'm staying up till 12-15, 12-30 because as we all know, these college football games are an eternity. If the game's going to be over before that, you're not going to get anything from me. But you will get an analysis, whether it be late or even Tuesday morning after midnight or definitely Tuesday morning when you wake up and you're commuting, especially if you're here on the East Coast and if you're anywhere in the world. Whatever that time may be, you'll get my take on the championship game as the college football season will come to its conclusion. Now I'm going to get to a few things here with the fall and winter sports, pretty much rapid fire and a couple other things before I say goodbye. We're just about at the halfway point, if you can believe it, in the NBA and NHL, now some teams have actually played 41 games and there are a handful that have played about that or maybe even a smidge over. Most teams are hovering at 38, 39, or 40, but think about this. The halfway point already? That's how fast the sports calendar goes here as we will start to pay attention more once we get past this NFL playoff and Super Bowl season. But as you know, I'll sprinkle in what's going on with the NBA and NHL as I have been doing here since the start of their seasons back in October. But NBA right now, the only focus last night in Miami had Kevin Durant fall to the court there with a knee injury as Jimmy Butler had landed on him. An MRI, I'm sure, will take place at some point today. We'll see what the extent of the injury is. We know that the Nets have been hot. They did have their 12-game winning streak snapped the other day and they did win in Miami yesterday. And we know they played well as they've shot up the Eastern Conference where they're hovering near the top with the Celtics and Bucks. But that will be a key injury. And we saw that there last year when KD injured his knee against New Orleans, I believe it was. And he was out for a month and a half. I'm sure the Net fan does not want to see that. But we'll see what's going to happen as the Net fan, all 40 of you guys out there and gals, are holding your collective breaths to see whether or not KD is going to be day-to-day, week-to-week, or longer than that. For the sport, I hope that's not the case. And for competitive integrity, I hope that it is just day-to-day, that he comes back sooner than later. When you have a guy like Kevin Durant playing at an MVP clip, you definitely want to see him in the lineup, not out. And we've seen him out for quite a few years here, whether it was with the Achilles injury and having to take that year off. And last year, as I mentioned, with the knee. And we definitely don't want to see him out for any extensive period. So... Let's just hope that he has a speedy recovery and he's back in the lineup much sooner than later. And then you have some scenarios out West where not only the Clippers, but also the Suns have hit the skids. Now the Suns, we can understand there's a reason. Devin Booker out as we talked with that groin injury, but they've lost six in a row to the tune where they're under 500. 20 and 21 out West. And I picked them as an under this year. So right now that's looking pretty good. I'll get to my over under numbers maybe in the weeks to come in both the NBA and NHL. I can tell you right now, NBA looks good. And the NHL is my first foray into over-under point totals. Not looking good. In fact, it's looking pretty bad. But I will touch on that maybe toward the end of the month. Maybe in between the Super Bowl 
or the championship games in the Super Bowl, maybe that week, I'll get into that a little bit further. But the Suns currently 8th in the Western Conference, 20-21, and and the Clippers are 21-21, and losers of six in a row, where Kawhi Leonard is now looking at this time of the season as a challenging time, a time for us to rise, to play a lot better, to see how cohesive we are. And he feels that the chemistry in the locker room is pretty good. But again, six in a row, I believe they have Dallas and Denver on the schedule this coming week. So it's not as if they're going to have a little bit of an underbelly where they'll play some of the worst teams or bad teams in the league. But the challenge and the season continues for the Clippers. A lot of expectations. I thought that they were going to be championship medal and a contender. Still a lot more basketball to go for them. Another 41 games, half a season to go. So they have a lot to make up if they want to be in the upper echelon or in that elite group of teams trying to make it to the championship, which is still for another five and a half months when you think about it. So that's what you have with the NBA. Other than that, nothing really much to report. NHL is the same Can't really get into a lot of storylines, a lot of different things going on there. We talked about the Winter Classic there on Thursday. Other than that, you have a couple of returns in the NHL, whether it's Nicholas Backstrom, the longtime capital, as well as Tom Wilson. Both of these guys finally got into regular season action as they were on the shelf throughout the first part of the year. With Backstrom, he had a hip injury that needed surgery, so he's back in the mix Big focal point of their team to go along, obviously, with Alexander Ovechkin. And then Tom Wilson is a tough guy on their team who's recovering from an ACL. So you have two big components for the Capitals as they try to get themselves in gear for the stretch run toward the end of the regular season. And I believe in two weeks you have the All-Star game, which will be in South Florida. I believe two weeks from yesterday, they'll have the All-Star weekend, the competition skills, all that stuff, if you're interested in that. You also had Jack Eichel from the Vegas Golden Knights come back. He was out the past 11 games with a lower body injury, and he actually scored a goal and assist in a victory the other night. So the Golden Knights, who are, and they've been hot and cold, as we've seen, and not having Eichel in the lineup has certainly shown. So having him back in the fold will be a welcoming sight for the Golden Knights and their fans. Golden Knights right now, when we look at their standings, yeah, they're at the top, but they have not played great. They have a four-point advantage over the LA Kings. So even with the way the Pacific Division, and it hasn't been a good division when you think about it overall, the Kraken, although have played well, but they've now won four in a row. But can you take them seriously as being a, I won't go as far as saying a contender, but a team that are you going to really bank on come playoff time? A little bit too early to tell. The Oilers have underachieved as we've seen. And Vegas not going to say they're the best of a bad lot, but having Michael back, as we know, is going to be a plus. So we'll see how that plays out. Other than that, the NHL is pretty much the same old, same old. Carolina, although they had their 11-game winning streak snapped against the Rangers last week, I didn't mention that, so my apologies there. But now they've lost three in a row, but still are in first place in the Metropolitan. And the Bruins continue to streak along. 40 games in, 32-4-4. Four, and four. As I mentioned last week, they're on a pace for 60 wins and 130 points to have one of the epic regular seasons that we've seen. But as we all know, the regular season, especially when it comes to the President's Trophy, not really a good omen when it comes to a team 
being a bona fide Stanley Cup winner, let alone getting to a Stanley Cup final. But obviously, that's for a long way off as we're right at the halfway point of both the NBA and NHL seasons. Now, I'm going to pivot quickly to a couple of other things. Lacing up my cleats to discuss baseball. Trevor Bauer was DFA'd by the Dodgers there on Thursday, which we kind of expected only because the Dodgers had that two-week window. This happened, what was it, right before Christmas when the ruling came out that his suspension was going to be cut from 320 some odd games, whatever it was, 324 games to 194. He still has to serve 50 more games from the start of the season. And knowing that he was owed $22 million, which he still will get unless a team actually signs him if he's not traded by Thursday because with him being DFA'd, the Dodgers have until Thursday to make a trade. You would think that there will be no takers and then at that point, he'll become a free agent to where $750,000 will come on the hook for that team. I believe actually the Dodgers will be on the hook for the $750,000 or maybe they won't. They will have to pay the $22 million and whomever signs him, they'll have to give him the minimum. Where he ends up, I have no clue. And I understand you could throw out a lot of teams, especially teams that are looking for pitching. Dare I even say the Mets. And I know the Mets won't go there and they have their own issues to deal with, especially with the whole Correa nonsense, which I won't even get into. But for Bauer, you would have to think there's going to be one GM or one owner that's going to be desperate. He's not a box office type pitcher, despite the fact he won a Cy Young back in the 2020, uh, I was going to say strike year, the 2020 pandemic year. He is a guy that we all know is aloof. We know he's all about himself, self-absorbed with his social media and the outlets that he uses to pump himself up and his brand, etc. So I don't know if there's going to be that GM that's going to take a flyer on him for the hell with it and then have to deal with the backlash in that city to have to deal with what he went through and all the accusations off the field with the Woman there out in Pasadena, and then there was another one that resurfaced later on in Ohio when he was a member of the Indians at the time. Now, of course, they're the Guardians. But I don't know if there's going to be any takers. You could throw out a team that is looking for pitching, a team that maybe could slot him in as a number two starter or put him at the top of the rotation. Who knows? I don't have a team. You want to say a team maybe like the Angels? That would be a good team for him to go to. I don't know if Artie Moreno is going to want to have to deal with that. Having that hang over him as, remember last year he wanted to even sell the team. Right now, it's up in the air. I couldn't even tell you. And I don't even know if he gets a deal. Maybe he's get closer to spring training. Or maybe if a pitcher goes down throughout the early portion of spring training. Or as they get into the exhibition season. If a guy happens to go down, Tommy John. Or is going to be on the shelf for quite some time. Maybe as a backup or out of desperation, they signed Bauer to a one-year contract. Who knows? But we're going to have to wait and see. As of right now, I don't think there's going to be anybody that's going to be looking at the Trevor Bauer radar as far as the other 29 Major League Baseball teams to say, ah, we want to take this guy and put him on our staff and let the chips fall where they may. That's number one. Number two, the Australian Open, and I was looking this up, I know usually the Australian Open begins at the end of January. And I don't know what it is. I'm seeing dates that it actually started yesterday, which I don't believe that's the case. And here it is as I pop it up on one of the sports websites here. 
In fact, it does start next week. I knew I wasn't crazy because I saw that January 9th was the date that was going to start. And I said, no, 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 no. They don't usually start that late. Now, I remember last year they started a week later due to COVID and the restrictions that they were in Australia at the time. But for Carlos Alcatraz, the number one player in the world, we know him coming off of a U.S. Open as we saw there last summer out in Flushing Meadow. He is going to be out of the men's side with a right leg injury that happened during training. Felt that there was some unnatural movement that he's unable to be able to, whether it's go lateral or go forward and backward, but that is a big blow to the men's side, especially when you have Novak Djokovic, who's going to participate this time around, and it would have been great to possibly see a matchup between the old guard and the new guard. This time around, you're not going to see it. And the one thing I will say is that you hope that this doesn't become the norm because this kid, who's only 19 years of age, is already going to be the next great champ and the next big thing in tennis. We all know he has his whole tennis life ahead of him. We get it that he had this injury during training. Hopefully he comes back in a few months for the French Open, which is not until the middle of May. But is this something we have to keep in the back of our minds when it comes to injuries or injuries that are just going to linger or nag when it comes to a young champion like Alcaraz? Remains to be seen, but something we'll have to keep an eye on here moving forward. But you have a lot of other big-time players that are out in former champs. Whether your name is Naomi Osaka, she's not going to participate as she withdrew from the tournament. Same for Simona Halep. Venus Williams, I get it, long in the tooth, very late in her career. But even with a name like Venus, who probably wouldn't be long for this tournament even if she was participating. But that's another person that's out. So we will take a better look at it as as I'll preview it next week. But the first Grand Slam of the 2023 season will begin down under a week from today and we'll get into it a little bit at that time. And then lastly, I got to give it up for this particular person and this is a sport that I've talked about sparingly throughout for the UFC fan. But I want to talk about Dana White real quick because I usually don't get into this, but the one thing that I do admire, as you all know, when you listen to this podcast, if you haven't, if you're a newcomer, I love to talk about accountability, especially when it comes to yours truly. If I make an error or if I happen to forget about something, I'm the first one raised, raising my hand high in the air to say, my bad. And with the video that surfaced, I believe it was in Cancun, Dana White and his wife had that exchange there where his wife smacked him in the face and then he returned a smack to her face. Not only did he apologize, he was very contrite. And not only that, but he was super accountable. And that's something that goes a long way with me and I'm sure with a lot of the, forget about American public, but just public overall. Because if he tried to sweep this under the rug or try to make it about, oh, it's none of your business or anything like that, once the video surfaced, he had no choice. And because he is the UFC, with him being the head honcho, And he knew that if he was going to do anything less than what he did by putting out that apology, making no excuses for what he did, didn't try to dance around it or try to sugarcoat it, none of that. And by him dealing with it head on, first and foremost, because now he doesn't have to worry about this moving forward. And this is what we talk about a lot when it comes to sports. As I mentioned about the whole Deshaun Watson thing, where if he would have faced the media for an hour, to talk about all the allegations and everything that happened, and I'm just using him in that scenario as an example, if he would have 
taking care of that from the start, he wouldn't have to deal with it. Now, I understand the Browns are now into the offseason and it'll probably be forgotten about. But you know that there's going to be some uncovering of this or unpacking of this, whether it's ESPN E60 or outside the lines or him having that one-on-one with a hand-picked journalist to go through what he went through or whatever or to tell his side of the story, his truth. You know that that day's coming. But for Dana White, he said, uh, I'm taking care of this right now. And understand Dana White is a lot bigger in his sport than Deshaun Watson is in his. But I got to give it up. And even his wife came to his defense saying that in the 30 years that we've been married, this has never been something that had happened before. He hasn't exemplified that type of behavior. I can attest to that. We're trying to deal with this as a family, so on and so forth. And again, not our business, but because it was broadcast there on TMZ and for the whole world to see, I got to give it up. Stand-up guy, what does that mean for him? Does he punish himself? Does he suspend himself? I don't know. I don't know if there's a board that they're going to look at Dana and say, hey, for six months or for three months, you can't be a part of any negotiations or a part of the operations, whatever it may be. And it could happen. We've seen George Steinbrenner, remember many years ago, Howie Spira, where he was suspended, I believe, what was it, for a year? I even forgot, it was so long ago. But that's my case in point. But I had to give it up. As bad as an optic as that was, he did put it all on himself. And for that, I give him a ton of credit. So I wanted to put that out there for those who are curious and probably thought I was going to pound on Dana White or anything like that. But no, he handled that as classy with a lot of aplomb as you possibly could. So for that, I have to give it up to him. And that'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. I know it was jam-packed with football and he sprinkled in a few things there at the end, but thanks for sticking by. Thanks for listening, for tuning in. I understand there's a lot of other outlets and we all know the attention span for a lot of people getting their information. There's so many different directions you could go to, but knowing that you came here, it means the world to me and I do not take it for granted. So thank you so much for stopping by. And like I mentioned at the very top, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. That would be a tremendous help to increasing the visibility and getting the word out there to those who are the casual or diehard sports fan, whether it's in your life, someone else's life. Make sure if you turn your attention and have them tune into me twice a week, one more time, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts or by email, you could do so on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, The J Reels Podcast. Or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter, J Reels one but I may change that in the days to come. I know I've been saying that for quite some time, but now that we're into the new year, I may pivot and make that change, so you'll have to stay tuned for that. And for those who want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy, dot com, slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100%. I did put up a post prior to the new year, I'll splash that on all my socials if you want to take a look at that as 100%, whatever you want to put forth, there will be exclusive content once I get some traction for people who jump on board on that platform. As you well know, everything is going to go to this production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, etc. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do. This is what I love to talk about people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say, to not only critique, praise, but share my thoughts, opinions, analysis with passion, fire, fury, energy on anything and everything. 
that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.